glad that you're here. There's going to be a picture that pops up on the screen here in just a second. And this picture is, these are my guys. Okay, when I lived in Illinois, these are some guys that right when we moved there, I coached them in Little League Baseball. I coached them in just about every sport known to man for the whole four years we lived there. And this was our, they were in eighth grade during this time, and I was their eighth grade basketball coach. I was their football coach in high school. And these are like family to us. My wife and I stay in touch with most of these kids. Uh, I had the opportunity to lead almost most of those guys to Christ and some of their dads. And this is my group. And this picture is when they were in eighth grade. And in eighth grade, their basketball team was really, really good. <laughs> like, ridiculously good. And the way basketball works in junior high in Illinois is there's regionals, there's sectionals, there's a state tournament. And we were the best team in our region. And the way they do junior high basketball there is instead of, like, seeding you based on your record, all the coaches, there's six teams in each region, and you get together, and you seed the bracket. And so I went to the meeting and walked in, and I got there on time, and all the coaches except me and another guy were already there. We found out later they'd been there for, like, half an hour. And our team had beat every team in the room. We had the best record. And we had beat a team who had beat every team in the room. So I just assumed this was kind of a formality, like we're going to be the number one seed. We're the best team. And so I walk in the room, and we sit down, and the guy goes, well, I don't think we have much to talk about. We've been visiting. I think we've got this figured out. Here's where we'll seat us. And we were the fourth seed in the tournament. And I gently and kindly <laughs> laid out my case for why this was idiocy. And uh, this is 20-some years ago. I did know Jesus, but I was still dumb. And I remember we got done. Now, keep in your mind, this is eighth grade basketball, okay? And I walk out of the room, and I remember I turned around and looked at all these other guys, and I go, thank you. And they said, why? I go, boy, I wouldn't want to be you when you play us. So we get to the first round of this tournament, and we play this team that is terrible. Like, they're, they're awful. And their coach is super nice, and their kids are super nice. And we play this team, and I am bound and determined we're going to send a message. And so my poor eighth grade boys, we press this team the whole first half. We're firing threes. We get to halftime, and it's like 52 to 2. <laughs> and we come in at halftime, and their coach, who is also their pastor, just for the record, <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> like these boys have started to figure out that maybe we're crossing a line. And they said, Coach, what are we going to do in the second half? And this Christ-following coach who got into coaching so he could influence people's lives for Jesus looks at them and says, put your foot on their throat. <laughs> so we go out, and there was a moment in this game in the fourth quarter where Evan, who's the kid on your far left, he's the nicest kid, and I remember he comes down the floor, and he's on our side where our bench is, and he's at the three-point line, and he catches the ball, and he's wide open. And I remember, like, he looks at me like he knows he shouldn't shoot this. Like, he feels bad that we are just destroying these other kids' lives. And he looks at me, and I said, bury that sucker. <laughs> we won 78 to 12. And I remember getting on the bus on the way home, and like our team, this is eighth grade boys, and they know they've done something wrong. 
And we get back, and it's a Friday night, and I get home, and I'm getting ready to prepare my sermon for Sunday. And I get down, and I have it all laid out, and we're in the middle of a sermon series, and we're in the middle of this walking through a, a series. And I sit down, and it dawns on me that in two days, I'm getting up to preach on integrity and what it means to live for Jesus and be an example that other people want to follow. Because the Holy Spirit hates me. I'll finish that story a little bit later for you. But I tell you that to ask you a question. In, in, in that moment, the, in that night, as I sit down and I, and I look at God's word and I see how different God's word is from what I've just done, it was like this, this brick right here in my chest. And it was like God said, Justin, you, you don't even look like what you used to look like. It, it, it was in this moment where like, I realized like I had totally forgotten what really mattered. Like, I, I, when I moved out there, I started coaching this group of guys the first summer we lived there because I knew it would be an opportunity to meet people in our community and to get to know them and invite them to our church where I was preaching and to lead them to Jesus. And this was why I was doing all these things. And somewhere along the line in this moment, as I looked in the mirror, I didn't even recognize who I had turned into. I was so far from who I was when I started, that it was almost like I couldn't remember what that was like. I don't know about you, but I, but I think it's easy over time to forget what really matters. I think it's easy in life to forget what's most important. And, and I could be wrong, but Journey, I think that might be what this sermon series is about. Dave did such a great job last week of introducing this and reminding us that we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about what matters to us as a church, about who we are, about what's most important. And Journey, as I prepared this week, I just kept thinking and feeling like the Holy Spirit was saying, this is an opportunity for some of you who are really new to Journey, this is a great opportunity for you to be introduced into what we're about but, but, but I look out here this morning, there's a lot of you who have been here like me for, for over a decade. And I can't help but think that maybe God wants to use the next few weeks to remind us of who we used to be. And who we need to be again. And so as we continue this sermon series here at Journey this morning about being a disciple-making church, we're going to look at a familiar story in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 is the story of Zacchaeus. Many of you are familiar with this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. And we're going to look at this because this morning we're going to talk about what is the first step? What's the first action of being a disciple-making church? Last week, Dave did a great job of telling us and reminding us of who we need to be if we want to be a disciple-making church. We have to be in Christ. We have to abide in Jesus. We have to rest in him, and we have to go to him. And so this morning, this is like, okay, so now what do we do? If that's who we are, if we want to be a disciple-making church, we want to be people that are in Jesus, what do we do first? What's the first step in getting someone to be a disciple? And that first step, if you want to make disciples, is you have to reach the lost, right? Like, you can't get somebody to live like Jesus until you introduce them to Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to look in Luke chapter 19, we're going to read the story of Zacchaeus. And we're going to be reminded, we're going to see three things that Zacchaeus does as he comes to Jesus that I think are instructive for you and me this morning as we seek to get others to Jesus, to be a church that reaches people far from God. 
So it says Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through and there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and was rich. And Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't see because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I'm going to stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried down and he came and he received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, everybody grumbled because of who Zacchaeus was. And they said, well, Jesus, he, he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to Jesus, he said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it four times. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, Jesus says this, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, know this morning that Zacchaeus is not the kind of guy that most people thought should have access to Jesus. Zacchaeus wasn't the guy that church people were excited to see. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and what that means is he's gotten incredibly wealthy by cheating and stealing from everybody he knows. As Bible commentator Warren Wiersbe says, he says Zacchaeus was a renegade in the eyes of the Lord, or in the eyes of the Jews. He was a renegade in the eyes of the religious but he was a precious lost sinner in the eyes of Jesus. And the first thing we see in this story is that Zacchaeus was relentless in getting to Jesus. He was relentless. Zacchaeus wasn't the kind of guy that most people would let have access to Jesus. He couldn't see him. Zacchaeus was short. He couldn't see over the crowd. And instead of just going, well, I'll catch him next week, Zacchaeus literally runs up a tree and climb to the top of it so he can just to see this man who he's never met. That there's something about this Jesus that Zacchaeus will do anything to get to him. And I think sometimes we gloss over, we sing the song when we're kids, he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see, and, and we miss the point of this. Zacchaeus is a dignified, high up in the social ladder, wealthy tax collector. It, it's the equivalent of the guy, of your accountant, leaving his office in his business suit and climbing up a tree to see, him, to see Dave when he passes by, right? He wants to see the traveling preacher. I'm waiting for one of you to do that this week. That would be great, all right? But that's what he does. And, and most people, they're not quite sure how to take this. But yet something about Jesus, something about this man was so important to Zacchaeus even though Zacchaeus had never even met Jesus yet, that he would do anything to get to him. If you're here this morning, and like me, you're a follower of Jesus, you, you, you've met Jesus, right? <laughs> like that's, that's assumed, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm assuming you've met him. And if you're like me, and, and that's the case, I, I would assume that in fact you claim, and as do I, that, that Jesus is the most important person in our life. In fact, you and I would claim that some, what someone does with Jesus is the most important decision in their life, right? So if, if you're here this morning and you're in that group with me, can I ask, what are you and I doing to get people to Jesus? If Jesus is really the most important person in our life, 
In fact, if he's so important that you and I agree that he's the most important decision that anybody will ever make, are we doing whatever it takes to get people to Jesus? I mean, Zacchaeus climbed a tree. Some days I won't even invite someone to come to church. In fact, as I thought about that this week, I got really convicted that the question for me, maybe for you, I don't know, isn't even are we doing whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Sometimes the question for me is am I doing anything to get people to Jesus? Randy Newman is a, a former campus minister, and he tells a story of how one time their, their campus ministry decided to invite four non-Christian students to talk to their leadership team. <coughs> he wanted to to have them just share their experience with Christians in the church. And he let their student leaders ask them all kinds of questions. And he said they asked questions throughout the day. It was incredibly informative. These four students were super far from God, from very different walks of life, but they were really gracious and, and answered everything. He said they got to the end, and one of the students said, is there any more questions? And one of his student leaders said, yeah, I just have one other question like, what would it take to get you to come to church with me? Or what would it take for you to have a conversation with me about Jesus? And he said there was dead silence. Like he said, all four of them had had great answers all day, but these four were just like, I don't know, I can't really think of anything. And so he said one of his students like, tried to kind of prod him a little bit and said, well, what if, what if I told you the preaching at our church is super good? Like it's, it's really good and you'll like it. He's engaging and it's, it's relevant. And one of them just goes, eh, probably not. <laughs> and he says, well, what, what if I told you the music is just killer? Like it, you would love it. People sing. It's, it's a great experience. And one of them says, eh, I, I probably still wouldn't come. And he said, what if I told you like that we had all kinds of programs? And what if I told you that uh, like we have this thing that is exactly what you like and you could be involved in that or what if I told you and they went through this whole list of things like all these things that, that matter all these things that I would suggest you keep people at church a lot okay but he said every one of them these four non-christian students were just like eh, like it wouldn't get me there it might keep me there but it wouldn't get me to come and so he said they were almost done and finally one of the students from his student leadership team asked this question he said well, can I ask, would you go to church or, or would you listen more about Jesus if a good friend just invited you to do it? And he said, without hesitation, all four students who were super far from God raised their hands and shouted without any hesitation, absolutely. Jerry, let me tell you, I, I think all the stuff we do is super important. But nothing has changed in 2,000 years. What will get people to Jesus is their friends inviting them to Jesus. And Zacchaeus was relentless. He would do whatever it took to just get a glimpse of Jesus when he passed by. And it, and it should convict you and I this morning if we want to be a disciple-making church. And we've got to do whatever it takes to get people to see Jesus. Well, Zacchaeus gets noticed by Jesus, and Jesus tells him to come down to the tree, and he's going to invite himself into his house, and Zacchaeus receives Jesus joyfully. Now, that's what Scripture says, that Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully. And in Zacchaeus's day and culture, to have someone into your home, to eat with them, that was an act of fellowship. It was a sign of acceptance. It meant that you trusted them. It meant that you were on good terms with each other. You were friends. And in this moment, 
Jesus is actually offering himself to Zacchaeus in friendship and in love and in acceptance, even though Zacchaeus is a tax collector who honestly nobody likes. This is something that nobody else in Zacchaeus' culture would have done for Zacchaeus. And Jesus is willing and he's waiting to go when he's invited in. In fact, in Revelation chapter 3, that's what it says. It says, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him, and I will eat with him and he with me. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' personal, relational, intimate life. And it reminds us this morning that, that we need to be a church, we need to be a people who are getting relational with other people who don't know Jesus. We have to invite ourselves into other people's lives. We have to invite them into ours. We have to get to know them and to eat with them and to, to hang out with them and to be a part of their life so that maybe God will use that to give us an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. I would suggest to you this morning that Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully because he was invited by Jesus to come in personally. We have to get to know people. We have to get to know what keeps them from inviting Jesus in. Can I, can I tell you, when I, when I lived in Illinois, I was a preacher at a church out there. I preached, I led worship, I helped with their youth group, and I, and I coached in the school for four years. I had more Jesus conversations as a coach than I ever did as a preacher because I was involved in their life. There are hundreds of people in your life who do not know Jesus and they could not care less what I have to say or what Dave has to say or what anybody else who gets up here has to say. But they will care when you get involved in their life. You have to get to know them and we have to understand where they come from and why they don't like Jesus and why they don't like the church and what's happened in their life that maybe would keep them from hearing the gospel. And then we can share it in a way that they'll understand. Alan Hirsch tells the story of British missionaries who evangelized the Zanaki people in Zimbabwe. And they went down there, and the primary verse that these missionaries used wherever they went was the verse we just read in Revelation 3, that Jesus stands at the door and he knocks, and if you invite him in, he'll come in. Well, here's the problem. In the Zanaki culture in Zimbabwe, they don't have any doors. <laughs> and so they're talking about knocking and entering a house to a group of people who have no doors. Now, they do knock in this culture. Hirsch says what happens is in their culture, because there's no doors, if, if I know you, I come up to your house and I holler. I'll, I'll holler out your name. And then if you know me, you'll welcome me in because you recognize my voice. I'll say, hey, hey, Bob, I'm here. And they'll say, hey, Justin, come on in. He said in their culture, the only people who knock are thieves. That thieves will come up and they'll, they'll, they'll knock on the outside wall of the house. And that way, if somebody, if they hear something or somebody stirs or somebody says something, then they run away because they know somebody's home. But if nobody answers, then they come in and rob you blind. And these British missionaries have went to Zimbabwe and they're telling people that there's a savior who knocks. And so the whole people group think Jesus came to rob them. Church, can I tell you that, that you and I, we live in a culture now that did not grow up with the same stories you grew up with, okay? 
We, we live in a culture now that does not have the Christian vernacular that many of us did. And you and I have to be a church that gets to know people and gets to know their language. We have to get to know their worldview, which, by the way, is nothing like yours or mine. And we do that so that we can best communicate to them who Jesus really is. So that we can do it in a way that they clearly see the value of Jesus and invite him in. We have to be relational with people so they'll receive Jesus joyfully. Journey, we used to do that. I remember, some of you still have this. You remember this? We used to have that little card that Troy gave us. It's called the three-in-one. We put three people on the card. It was supposed to do three things. We were supposed to invite them to church, pray for them, and invest in their lives. You remember that? <clears throat> I don't have the card anymore because I can't keep anything. But I have a card like that, and mine's got like 12 names on it because I'm four times better than everybody else. <laughs> and I was looking at that card this week, and you know what dawned on me? I've had those 12 names on there for a lot of time. I couldn't tell you the last time I invited one of them to church. I couldn't tell you that I'm doing a great job of investing in their lives. I can tell you I pray for them. I got one out of three. You and I, we, Journey, we got to be reminded of who we are. That we're a church who wants to reach people far from God, who wants to give hope to the hopeless. Zacchaeus did whatever it took to, got, to get to Jesus. And when he got to Jesus and he saw him and Jesus personally invited himself in, he received Jesus. And then the last thing Zacchaeus did was he responded to Jesus. He responded to Jesus faithfully. See, under the Mosaic law, which Zacchaeus would have been under and the people of God were under, the law that's found in Leviticus 6 or Exodus 22, if a thief, which is really what Zacchaeus is, if he voluntarily confessed his crime, then he had to restore what he took and he had to add one-fifth to it. And he had to bring an offering, and they called it a trespass offering, to the Lord. Now, if he stole something that he couldn't restore, he had to repay fourfold what he took. And if he was caught with the goods, he had to repay double. Now, now notice in the story, Zacchaeus doesn't even argue over what's happened. Zacchaeus doesn't try to negotiate a good deal. Zacchaeus doesn't say, well, I mean, stealing, I don't know if that's what you'd call it. Maybe it's called tax fraud, I don't know. He doesn't say any of those things. Zacchaeus readily and immediately offers to pay the highest penalty price because his heart has truly been changed. See, if Jesus truly changes your heart, then you don't argue over what he asks you to do. Let me, let me say that again, because maybe it's just me, but I have a hard time with that in my life. If Jesus has truly changed my heart, then I don't argue with him over what he tells me to do. There, there's no such thing as truly encountering the love of Jesus and walking away unchanged. It doesn't happen. And if I'm not changed as much as I think I should, then I've got to go back and encounter Jesus more in my life. Remember that what, what we're talking about this morning is the starting point of discipleship. It's not the finish line. It's not the end, right? Like, uh, that's not, the, the, oh, we're done. We got him to Jesus. There's, there's nowhere in Scripture where Jesus charged you and me to make converts. There's hundreds of verses in Scripture where we are told to make disciples. 
when we're told to walk alongside of each other as we respond to the good news of Jesus. Journey, you and I, we, we need to be a church that helps people find Jesus. And we need to be a church that does that and then walks alongside of them as we help each other learn to live like Jesus. Because here's the deal, I, I've walked with Jesus for almost 24 years. And I need lots of help. <laughs> I had walked with Jesus probably almost 10 years when I told that story that I just told you. And it gets worse, just for the record. We've got to be a church that says, ah, we just don't want to get you to Jesus. We want to have you help us, and we help you live like Jesus. See, see, I think the great misunderstanding in the church often is that we think when people get in the baptistry, we're done. Well, they crossed the line. They responded to Jesus and did what he told them to do. They buried their old life and they raised a new, and well, we're good. Well, that's not the finish line, that's the starting block. Now the race begins, and we run alongside each other. See, see the, the reality is that there are hundreds of people around you and I who are, who are lost. That's, that's not a bad thing. It's not, it's not something they've done. The, the, the very definition of someone who's lost is someone who doesn't know how to get home. Like none of us find a kid on the side of the road and he says, I, I'm lost, I can't find my way home. We go, wow, what an idiot. You know what? You should probably just figure that out on your own, son. Like none of us would do that, right? Like we take them and take them to their house because we know how to get there. And yet you and I encounter people all the time who the only thing that's in them is they just don't know how to get home. And we've we got to be willing to do whatever it takes to get them from a place that is lost to a place that is home. And the only way that will happen is when we get with them and we get to know them and we look them in the eye and we love them and we're friends with them and we build relationships with them without any agenda. And then when they start to ask and we get to have these moments, then... We help them figure out how to respond to Jesus. And then we help each other walk with Jesus for the rest of our lives. That's why we're here. Jesus, in Luke 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so he has called you and me to do the same. But that means we have to seek them out. The beginning of discipleship is seeking out people who do not know Jesus. <clears throat> so I got done, the band can start coming up. As I got done getting ready for that sermon, I'm like, I can't preach <laughs> this Sunday like I'm a horrible person. And so I got up in front of my congregation that Sunday. By the way, literally almost everybody who's at that game goes to my church. Almost all the players and their parents who were there go to my church. And a couple people who will not think this is funny at all are elders at my church. And I get up and I start the sermon by saying, this morning we're in the middle of the sermon series and today we're talking about integrity and what it means to be an example for Jesus. And I said, church, most of you were where I was Friday night, and if you're not, you've already heard about it. And I said, I can't, I can't preach this this morning before we talk. And I talked about what we had done and how I was ashamed and embarrassed and that, hey, you know what? When I preach, I'm, I'm the same as you. And I am sometimes very far from Jesus in my life and I need your help. And that was somewhat embarrassing, but not overly horrible. 
Um, most of those people loved me, and some of them thought it was funny. Some of them liked it. Um, and so we did more discipleship there, too. Um, but then Monday came, and I had met with all my boys that were in that picture, and I had told them, this isn't who we are, and this is my fault, and I'm going to rectify this. So then Monday, I drove an hour and a half to the school that we played. Now, I'm going to be real with you this morning, Journey. I almost didn't want to share this part of the story. Because I'm going to say something in just a minute that you're going to hear, and this is going to move from, oh, that's funny, to like, Justin, you're going to hell. <laughs> All right? So I drove an hour and a half to the Illinois, uh, to the Illinois School for the Deaf. That's right. You, you're putting this together. Uh, we played the Illinois School for the Deaf and beat them 78 to 12. It's one of the most shameful, embarrassing things I've ever done in my life. And I, I got to their school, and I, I reached out to their coach, and he came out and met me, and I said, hey, I just need to apologize. I said, I want you to know without a doubt that that is not who my kids are. And they didn't want to do what I made them do, and this is completely on me, and it's not who I want to be, it's not who I think I am, and I'm really, really sorry, and I would love for you to tell your team that, or I'm willing to go meet with your team if you want me to. And I'll remember this. The first thing he said is he goes, I was in the meeting. I wasn't surprised. And uh, <laughs> the second thing he said was he said, well, lots of people have done this. It's no big deal. He said, but you know, nobody's ever apologized for it. And church, I tell you that story this morning, not so you can see what a terrible person I am. I tell you that story so you can see the redeeming quality of Jesus in your life. It was awful. I can't describe to you how awful it was. I was a grown man. But it was an opportunity that Jesus used to get me back to who he had called me to be. And I wouldn't trade it. And those kids that were on that picture, most of them I led to Jesus. None of, you, none of them could tell you the score of the sectional championship game that we played in and lost to go to state. None of them could tell you the score of the first football game we won together. None of them could tell you the score of our two playoff games that we won when we, or that we were in when I coached them in football. None of them could tell you a single score, but they'll tell you the score of that game, and they'll tell you what happened after it. And they'll tell you what God taught them about their coach and what he taught them about themselves. And Journey, I tell you that to, just to say this as we get ready to sing. I think, I think that maybe God wants to use this sermon series to introduce some of you to who, Jesus, or to who Journey is. But I think he wants to use it for a lot of us, me included, to remind us of who we used to be. And Journey, you and I, if you've been here a while, we're going to have a couple choices. We can laugh it off and go, oh, yep, we're idiots, <laughs> and move on, and nobody will care, and nobody will notice, and nobody will think any less of you. Or we can be willing to let the Holy Spirit convict us through what Dave says through God's word the next few weeks. And we can be willing to go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, you know what? I don't look as much like I used to. And we can be willing to say, Jesus, help me look like you, you created me to be. And Journey, I'm not going to lie, it's not fun. It might actually be painful, it might be embarrassing. It might make you a little bit ashamed of where you've ended up from where you used to be. But it will be rich and it will be good. 
And you and I, we can come out better than we were when we started. And we can look more like Jesus than we did a few weeks ago. And we can have the opportunity again to bring the lost home. But everything we do starts with getting to Jesus. So this morning, church, I just want to invite you, if you're like me, as we sing this song, would you just come back to Jesus and ask him in the next few weeks to reveal to you and me where we maybe drifted from where we used to be? And if you're here this morning, and maybe you're Zacchaeus, <laughs> maybe this was your first glimpse of Jesus, Maybe, maybe this is the time where you know you need to receive Jesus into your life. You need to respond to him. You can do that. You can do that. You just have to say, yes, he's waiting. You can respond in the way that he tells you. You can bury your old life in the waters of baptism and be raised new. We can do that. But you have to get to Jesus. He's waiting. And that's what we hope this morning. Whatever it takes whatever we can do together. Let's get to Jesus again. Let's stand, let's sing.